back to Brian's Beat. Join the show by calling 508-996-0500. New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. Two of Brian's Beat. How are you today? This windswept rain. You know, don't have to wash the car. All the little seagull droppings that were on there before, they're all gone now. 508-996-0500 is how you get on to our program today. Gerard Mayo. First full day as the head coach of the now historic New England Patriots. Before we go any further, it's time to do the Brian's Beat quote of the day. And this quote comes from Dr. King. And the quote that we will have for you on Monday will also come from Dr. King. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Not exactly sure when Dr. King said that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. But he said it. He gets credit for it. And I suppose when you think about it, it, it does it does make sense you know darkness replacing darkness is still darkness only light can change that hate cannot drive out hate hmm You know, every once in a while when I hear certain terms, hate cannot drive out hate, I'm reminded of the wars that are going on. In particular, what came to mind, what's uh, going on in that Gaza Strip. My guess is the Israelis have no love lost for Hamas and the Palestinians. And my guess is, and certainly right now, if not before, Hamas and the Palestinians have no love loss for for the Israelis. And I'm not saying that they're going to need to be lovey-dovey with each other, but if there is ever going to be some type of peace and recognition... There's going to have to be that meeting of the minds. Whose minds? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's Netanyahu. I, it might be some members of Hamas, but who knows how long that they would be in power. I was listening, and woman friend was uh, with me. I think it was on Tuesday, Scott Ritter, former 
UN arms inspector and United States Marine captain, he stated, you know, nobody really likes Hamas. And I, I sat there and I said, well, wait a minute. I think the Palestinians do well. But then he, he said, outside of, outside of um, that area, nobody really likes Hamas. You know, you're talking about people that at one time were a terrorist group or at least labeled a terrorist group. But then he went on to say, nobody likes the Palestinians. And I thought, well, what did the Palestinians do? I'm separate, you know, when, when I hear nobody, that to me speaks more than just the Israelis. Why is it that Egypt doesn't want the Palestinians? The Jordanians, they probably have the most Palestinians in, in their country. Why, why don't they want or like the Palestinians? Syrians, why don't they want or like? Lebanese, same thing. You know, what, you know, it's like, did, did one of them poop and didn't want to clean, clean himself off or something? You know, that's, you know, what did they do that nobody wants them? Never mind what, apparently, again, according to Scott Ritter, I don't know, I'm thinking, nobody likes them, why? What do they do? But be that as it may, Dr. King's quote, always prevalent, I, I've, I've got to hand it to him, he could thread words together very well. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Can you imagine what it must have been like? There he is coming up with these phrases and somebody had to remember him back in the prehistoric days of tape recording and whatnot. Got to get this down. Got to write it down. I know Dr. King did a lot of scribbling when he was at uh, Boston University and up in, up in the city doing his preaching at that particular time. But... I, this guy is this this guy is is America's Confucius. Is it, do the Chinese have a Confucius holiday? Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you get onto the program today. I look if you want to talk about it, I I will. Uh, I have been following as best I can. What is going on in in The Hague as the South Africans are are taking on the Israelis at this um, international court of justice where 15 judges are listening. It, it's, it's a hearing right now to basically decide if there's a plausible cause, not definitive but plausible cause that Israel is committing genocide. And whether I think it's genocide or not, there is plenty of evidence pointing in that direction. And certainly in ethnic cleansing, 
direction. And to me, they are different things. That stated, I was reminded the other day I was watching Breaking Points on uh, on YouTube. And they were doing an interview uh, with a couple of people. And one of them was skeptical at the time as to whether or not the court would rule that, you know, you need to cease and desist until we can have a full hearing, which might be years. And the reason why, he goes, these are justices, but they all represent their particular country. And you've got 15 justices and five, five of them, United States, Great Britain, France, China, and Russia. And then uh, 10 others from 10 other countries. So the point is that as much of a judicial proceeding that this is and is supposed to be, don't be surprised if it's political. Case in point. Case in point. Whether you believe that there's a genocide going on or not, no matter how you believe about it, how do you think the United States judge is going to vote in this particular case? Now, if he votes that it is genocide, then then I'm willing to believe that the politics is out of this. And I would really believe it if not only the United States, but also the the British judicial representative. But I I got to tell you, I I can sit in this chair, and I've listened to Anthony Blinken. I've listened to President Biden. I've listened to folks in Congress. I've listened to uh, our ambassador over at the United Nations. I've listened to our defense secretary, and I wish him uh, the best with his prostate cancer. But there is nothing that I've heard from the administration that tells me that the United States won't vote to say that this is not genocide, that there's no plausible reason. I mean, there's a mountain of evidence. Mountain. And um, the, the best that Israel could do was claim self-defense. And that's pretty much knocked off the map. And you're saying, Brian, why is it knocked off the map? Well, because the same court Different members, but the same court voted, I think it was in 2004, maybe it was 2006, but they voted that Israel, uh, while being on top of Gaza and trying to erect a wall around the Gazans, was on somebody else's territory, and they can't claim 
trying to defend themselves when they are the occupiers. You've heard the term occupied territory. They, the Israelis, are occupying Israel. Now, they're not paying any attention to what the court order is. You know, they're saying you you got it wrong, basically. Well, there you have it. So, um, I would not be surprised at all if the U.S. judge votes against it. Let me try it like this. I'm very surprised if that judge does it. I think it's a he. Just want to play it safe. 508-996-0500. So, uh, that one is out there for you. The other one, Maybe it's too early for you. But the state Supreme Judicial Court made a a tight ruling the other day. When I say tight, the vote was four to three. And here it is. Basically what the state Supreme Judicial Court, the highest court in the Commonwealth, has come out and and ruled is that if you are 18 years old, 19 years old, or 20 years old, and you commit first-degree murder, a judge or jury cannot sentence you to life in prison without parole. The age has been 18. I guess that stops right away. I'm not exactly sure when that takes effect. It, it is my understanding that those that are between 18 and 20 that are under the former sentence of life in prison without parole, uh, that is supposed to be changed on them. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not a death penalty type guy. But I do believe if you are 18 years old, if you're 19, and certainly if you're 20, that unless you are mentally different, altered, and you know what you're doing and you commit a first-degree murder, and the judge and or jury believes that you have done so and you should not you, you you should not ever be out again that a judge should be able to rule life in prison without the possibility of parole for an 18-year-old for a 19-year-old and certainly a 20-year-old 18 you can vote i, I don't know do I, I, is there anybody in disagreement with that don't you believe that a that a twenty year old should know better? First of all, you're not going to get life in prison without the possibility of parole if there's something upstairs going cuckoo. The people that get life in prison without the possibility of parole have a good idea of what they're doing and why they did it. 
So what's the problem? You know, maybe you skimp on 18. Maybe you skimp on 19. But you don't on 20. I mean, really, what's the difference between 20 and 21? One extra year. But what's the difference? How much more, how much less mature is a person that commits first-degree murder? I mean, those are the people that get life in prison without the possibility of parole. Second-degree manslaughter. Uh, You've got that possibility of parole. So I, I think the justices... And you look, they they are learned people, but I think they made a grave, pardon the expression, mistake in this particular case. And I wish they would take this paperwork back and and do a recount. 508-996-0500. Brian's Beat, Saturday morning. It's raining again. And you can also join the show by using the WBSM app. Thank you, South Coast Towing. You can go to the WBSM app and not only listen to us, but you can text a message to our at app chap. Whew. Try saying that fast five times. Anyway, app chap available and you can tap off a message and it'll come right here on the computer and I can look at it and say, oh, yes, absolutely right. Or no, I don't necessarily agree with that. One of the things that I did agree with this week was Mayor Mitchell's request to the, I say request, uh, push bill ordinance to the New Bedford City Council to change the residency requirement, at least for the Unit C employees, which you're talking about 150 managers and, and technical Type folk and they're non union. Some of these people, and I get this, you know, I mentioned this before, I'm going to mention it again. I think there are way too many people that work in city government and in town governments. Just want to throw that caveat in there. But you don't want to make it any more difficult. Uh, the hiring process, that is. And it's not that Mayor Mitchell is doing the hiring. Now, he might do the hiring for his own personal staff over at at City Hall, but he's going to take the recommendations from other folks for, for certain positions. And now you've got this albatross known as the residency requirement that basically forces folks... To live in the city, unless you're a teacher and uh, I think that even if you work for the police department, you you get some requirements uh, down the road. But I was told by Bruce Oliveira on the New Bedford School Committee that teachers are part of uh, the hiring of the school department and they, they aren't under the same bargaining type agreement that other city employees are under. But when you think about it, if you're trying to find the best, if you're trying to find the brightest, 
if you're looking at a particular price point. Do you want to be hampered by only being able to look for folks that are in the city or you find somebody that's outside the city and then you want to try to convince them to move into the city? It doesn't make sense to me. I know it does to many others because, they, well, if they live here, they'll be part of the community. They'll spend their money here. As if you're, you're thinking that folks that work for the city, that don't live in the city, don't spend money in the city. They may not spend a property tax on the city, but don't you think that they use city restaurants and cafes? Go to the city drugstores, grocery store. You know, they, they mill about. If it's convenient, they'll use it. You don't think that they use a city repair shop for their car? Use a city cleaners for their clothes? So the, uh, to me, the, this whole residency thing is asinine. Because you want the best person you can possibly get. And I don't want to take anything away from any New Bedford resident. But you may not have the skill set that is necessary for the technical position or even the labor position that the city is looking for. I'm not the only one who feels this way. At least one city councilor Agrees. Happens to be the city council president, Naomi Carney. I asked if she would come in today. Unfortunately, she has not been able to do so. But she feels the same way that I do. That, you know, don't nickel and dime this whole thing. There should be no residency requirement for any city employee. And I agree. Why should I, I, I get part of the logic? I'm going to say, why should the police officers have to live in the city for a certain period of time? A couple of my colleagues would, would like the superintendent of schools to live in the city. I know the the outgoing super. The, I shouldn't say outgoing because he's gone. Thomas Anderson didn't live here, and again, we we can debate the job that Anderson did while he was superintendent. But most of the school committee, most city residents, seem to applaud the job that he did, and he didn't live in the city. So I, I don't know how important it is for folks to live in the city of New Bedford in order to do a good job for the city, to spend money wisely within the city, and be a respectable person. What are folks that, that work in in New Bedford but don't live there? Are they bad people? Are they pains in the butt? 
Or is it that you just want their money so much that you think that, well, if we force them to live here, we'll get, we'll get some of their money? Now, school teachers don't rank in this particular case, but if, let's say they did. Let's do a, let's say they did. Do you think that the school teacher would be a better school teacher because they lived and worked in the city? The city schools don't have the greatest reputation. I just want to be nice about it. I think most people would agree, no matter how you think the schools are. The reputation ain't that good. So if you're applying for a job, you've gone through the the interview stages and the city wants to hire you. And all of this talk about residency comes up and you live in... Dartmouth could be Somerset. It could be Rochester, could be Lakeville. You you know, the surrounding community is not too far away. Do you want to uproot your family to move into New Bedford, especially if you have kids that are going to the schools? Look, if you want to attract people to really want to live and make New Bedford even better than you you call it today. That has to come from within. At least the reputation of the schools is, is still pretty bad. The reputation about some of the housing is still pretty bad. So the changes have to come before people will move in. You know, it's... I can't, it's kind of like that saying, build it and they will come. But folks are just expecting, well, it's a residency law. We've got a law in the books. They got to move here. 508-996-0500. That's how you get on to the show today. Hello. 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 It's a wonderful day. It is. Every day. I like Saturday. And I like the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I like it, too. Yeah. It's It's just very difficult. You're muffled. You're muffled today. Oh, I'm sorry. Better? adjust the volume. Is that better? It's better than it was. Okay, then we can have a conversation, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, too. My opinion is, okay, uh, to play the game, does it mean when you retire, you got to keep your residency to get your uh, retirement benefits? Uh, (laughs) Great question. Great question. You know, that that, that is so, (laughs) that that would be next on the list. Let's let's just remove that. You know, I I think, I, I can't speak for the mayor. But I, I believe in this particular case, he's right. Maybe he's trying to remove residency for, for all city employees. And, and maybe the city council is beginning to realize that it may be time 
to change that that ugly rule. Yeah, so if you retire and go to Florida, do you have to give up 10% of your benefits? Uh, just like you would do when you came in, you lost 10% because you're from out of town. Um, it's nickels and dimes. And, and so, you know, if you're concerned about that more than the actual job performance and longevity, you're after a bad start. You know, you've got to be business friendly and career friendly. You put out a national search and now you're, you're, you're clipping this guy's wings or her wings or financially. And, uh, uh, it contradicts itself. And it, it doesn't lead to a very good uh, a start. Let's face it, when you do a national search and you do hire someone based on it, that's a fresh set of eyes. And those eyes said, yeah, I'll take the job. So obviously they're saying things, so you're not going to vet out of them. They're going to have a plan. It might be a three-year plan. It might, it might be, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to just do the bare minimum plan. This is uh, Mayberry RFD. Yeah, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Mayberry. I'll take it. Hey, that was good. Thank you. I do appreciate the call. 508-996-05, Mayberry RFD. You know, I wonder, I wonder as, as the city, and I, I'm pointing the finger at the city of New Bedford. Boston also has a residency rule. And I remember uh, when I was working up in the city, the residency rule was a, a hot topic for debate. And many city residents figured it was better than sliced bread. But I wonder how many people turned down a, a Pretty decent job in the city of Boston because of the residency rule. And now bring it bring it down here. I wonder how many people are just saying no because of the same residency clause. Hello. And good morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. I have a quotation for you this morning. Yes. It's from Mark Twain. I never let my schooling interfere my with it, my education. <laughs> Today People have been conditioned to believe education is a public institution. Education is life learning. People have been brainwashed going through the whole system of the public school system uh, and uh, even up into higher education. It's about brainwashing. It's not about learning or critical thinking, about thinking on your own or constructive thinking. It's uh, like you spoke with that topic of all this material, this garbage material. They're trying to uh, expose to the children these books, nudity and all of that uh, stuff that years ago would be unheard of. And many, uh, many of us Americans would not put up with that. But today, all this stuff is flying because of the Democrats. The Democrats are allowing and pushing this, uh, this stuff uh, onto the children. And they're trying to push it on the uh, it, it reminds me a lot of Plato's Republic, that the state is the parent of the children, not the parents. They're not their biological parents. Let me ask you something. This stuff that's going on in the schools today, it, it may be accelerated a little more, but it was going on during the Bush administration, second Bush administration. It was going on during the Trump administration. So why 
why do we point the finger all the time at the Democrats? Why not? Why don't we point the finger at the fact that we've got people in government right now that are allowing this to happen? Because, quite frankly, I don't see any Republicans here in the Commonwealth speaking ill of this stuff that's going on. And I don't hear any Republicans in Congress doing anything similar. Someone blame Jimmy Carter, too, because of uh, the Department of Education. So I guess you have a point as far as both parties. Instead of having each community have complete control over their public school system, they're being controlled by the federal government and the state government to push things on to the children and their parents. Sick material uh, against their will. Absolutely correct. And, you know, pardon me for interrupting. I'll let you get the last word in here. But what happened in 1993, the Education Reform Act of 1993, ushered this stuff in. It took control away from the local school committees. It changed it changed the funding apparatus of schools. So now what you, you it's like Desi here in the Commonwealth. Desi has a noose around the local school boards and, you know, OK, we'll give you a little money. By the way, you know, they spend twenty thousand dollars and change per student. That's the average right now. That's the average. That's not special ed. Yeah, and that's a lot of money. So it's this whole thing is not about money and throwing money at it like the mayor's saying to come in and get the best talent. The best talent doesn't want to go to the public schools because they're not a, the best teachers are not allowed to teach. Like you're saying, they've, all of these constraints uh, by state and federal are not allowing teachers to do their job. And also a lot of this sick material that they're going to be forced to teach the, the, the students. They don't want to do that. And that's why we're losing talented people. I would I just say uh, both Republicans and Democrats get out of the way and let people govern themselves. You know what? They don't want to hear that because all of a sudden you're taking power and money away from them. Right. And it's big business. Uh, these big publishing companies and lobbyists, they're the ones that, if you really look up in Boston, it's lobbyists that are pushing for this crap on the people, on the masses. So our government just, and this has been happening, a backslide for decades. Our lobbyists and big special interest groups and left-leaning groups and big corporations, they're the ones that are running uh, the, the people's government. This is the people's government, not uh, special interest groups and big corporations and power brokers. Well, it was the people's government. Hey, thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. 508-996-0500. That's how you get on the program today. You know, he was talking about special interest groups. Let me name one of the bigger special interest groups that are getting funding, that is getting funding courtesy of the federal government and the state government. Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. You don't have to believe me. Look it up yourself. Planned Parenthood gets funding so they can operate clinics. Clinics in schools. Don't want to believe me? Check it out. 
Planned Parenthood operates these clinics. And one of the things that they are helping the school system with is abortion services. Another thing that they are assisting the schools with is gender changing, that kind of stuff. Did you ever think Planned Parenthood would end up going down that particular road? Hello. Hi, good morning. I'd like to discuss what you mentioned about the residency requirement. Yes, please. So I heard your argument. It was a a good argument saying that they could do a good job whether they lived in the city or not. What's your position on elected positions as far as a residency? So you're talking about elected officials? Yes. Oh, I think they need to. I, I think there are laws that kind of say that they have to. But why? Why Why do you think that this? it makes sense to have them uh, have, have a residency requirement? Because they are representing people. It's kind of hard to get voted in by the people if you're, if you're not with the people. Well, they... they they could still do a good job whether they live oh, there or not. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I, I, I won't argue whether or not they could do a good job, but I would like to believe, and I could easily be wrong here, is that if you had two people running for a position and one lived outside the city and the other one lived in, that folks, unless the, the, the person that lived in the city was a badass type person, that that, that person would win. Well, I think that the reason it makes sense for elected officials is because they have a vested interest in the community. They may have more knowledge of what goes on in the community. And my argument, I would say, how is that not beneficial for also, maybe not all non-elected positions, but key positions, fire chief, police chief, several other positions. I think it makes sense to have a residency requirement for those positions for the same reasons that you want politicians or elected officials to have that It's not so much that I want it. Uh, that, that's the way it's been. Uh, residency rules are, are depending on uh, a particular city or town. Right. Well, I just thought I heard you say that, in your opinion, that you should remove, you didn't say elected officials, but for any non-elected official, you said remove the residency requirement. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You did yeah, hear I, that. I would. I, yeah, I would respectfully disagree. I think that in certain key positions, it makes sense to have that. But I could see that it could work both ways. But uh, you have well, a very good you know, no, no, hold on, because I, I was just, uh, pardon me if I dipped for a second there. The, um, Oliveira is the chief right now, right? The police chief. Mm-hmm. Who was the one that was the police chief before that? I live in a cushioner, so I, I apologize for my ignorance. On okay, the- fair enough. But that police chief had a lot of experience within the city of New Bedford, and I think at a particular time he lived here, but uh, as chief, he lived in Dartmouth. The former interim fire chief, who uh, recently got got shot down over at the, the Bayside, mm-hmm. he lives in or lived in Dartmouth. So I'm not sure that you need to live in the city to do a good job in the city. Uh, I, the vested interest, yeah, certainly with the elected official, I would definitely agree with you on that term. 
Right. Well, and to, to add to your point, in a cushion, we had a very good fire chief who lived in Fairhaven. Um, you know, maybe you could make the argument that adjacent communities or communities that are in close proximity would have an awareness and an interest or in, 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 in the particular, you know, an adjacent community that they may work in and not live in. Um, but I would also like to submit that perhaps you could have the residency requirement for certain key positions to be the tiebreaker only. So you have two equal candidates. One lives in the city, one doesn't live in the city. Perhaps the tiebreaker could be residency. You, you, you're talking about for the people that are going to select the person for that position? Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, I think it probably comes down to something akin to that. All things being equal, you, you probably go with the, the one you know. No, or just may may or may not know them, but just, you know, if if all things being equal, which this probably wouldn't happen very often, uh, not just that you know them, just that, you know, maybe then in that case you would choose the, the, the resident over the non-resident in a hypothetical all things being equal situation, which I don't think would come up very often. But, probably but I like not. the points you're making. I like the points you're making, and it's always a very good program. Thank you. I do appreciate the call. 508 nine nine six zero five hundred ken Pittman up after the top of the hour news to go with the asop well i i want to mention this uh patience excuse patience silence i appreciate it uh she writes to let me know that under the state's general laws teachers cannot be subject to the municipal residency laws yeah makes sense Shouldn't be. I mean, they may work in a particular school district, but they know what's best for their kids. Should be interesting to hear what Ken has to say about Jared Mayo being the next Patriots coach. We'll find out. 